Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. And thank you for joining us on this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady. Lou Weiss is off for the day. But he is the sponsor of the show through his company, All Metals and Forge Group. We also have some other show sponsors, so we're always grateful for them that keeps us on the air. And today we're going to be talking with Dr. Chris Keel, who is with Armada Corporate Intelligence. He always brings us the Credit Managers Index Report and some other discussion on things in general. So, Chris, welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Well, thank you very much. So we'll catch up on the latest from the credit managers who we have talked about often over the years. The report this month is pretty good. Um, We have seen a pretty interesting cycle, and those who have been following with bated breath since we started talking about this know that we were in terrible straits in March and April. Uh, That was when the index really collapsed, so that everybody else is no big surprise. And it recovered in a couple of different ways throughout the next subsequent months. We had the favorable numbers come back to life probably as early as May. And the unfavorables became a problem in May and June and July. And then by the time we get to October, we've seen both success on the favorable and the unfavorable side. And those categories are things that are relevant to credit managers. The favorables are things like sales, applications for credit, dollar collections, and amount of credit extended. So things that make credit managers happy. The unfavorables are things like bankruptcies and accounts out for collection and slow pays and disputes, all the things that make credit managers unhappy. (laughs) So... The favorables tanked, um, like I said, in March and April, but they had kind of come back by the time we get to June. The latest numbers are about as good as I've seen them in several years. I mean, we're we're dealing with an index that's just like the PMI, the Purchasing Managers Index. So anything over 50 is expansion. Anything under 50 is contraction. And we're looking at numbers that are in the high 60s and 70s for for the favorables. The unfavorables have kind of had their worst months in July, August, even into September, but now they're becoming a little more solid. Still, some of them under 50, but some of them above 50. So, and I've mentioned before, the credit managers tend to think into the future. They are not as concerned with how your business is doing today because you don't owe them money today. They gave you 90-day, 120-day, 180-day terms. So they're like, yeah, yeah, glad to know you're doing good. How are you going to be in March? What's it like in January? That's when you owe me money. Right. So, so they're, they're mildly optimistic uh, going forward. So all in all, it was a pretty good, pretty good report, um, kind of along the lines of, of PMI numbers, which were pretty good this month as well. Well, it was interesting when we talked with both Tim Fiore on the manufacturing PMI and Anthony Nieves on the non-manufacturing PMI, and they both had good news to report, which means we didn't have much to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, really. We, we need depressing news. 
you know, it's <laughs> what's intriguing is, and, and this is something that we kind of see, we don't really have a credit manager's report for Europe. Obviously, we do for the PMI. And if you look at the PMI service sector numbers for Europe, they're bad. And the U.S. service numbers were good. And clue is to kind of where we go from here or where we might go from here. The critical factor has been all year the response to the pandemic. And if you look at Europe, Europe has gone back into lockdown mode in some cases very severely into lockdown mode. Italy has now literally walled off um, its northern half uh, trying to control the spread. You've seen similar types of, of draconian responses in France. You've seen it in Spain. You've seen it to some extent even in Germany. And it's showing up immediately. I mean, the service sector has taken a real hit. We haven't done that here, and there's conversation because the second or third or fourth, whatever wave this is, is underway. There's conversation about reinstituting another sort of lockdown. It seems unlikely that there'll be a national policy here. I think it's going to continue to be state by state, and that will that will give us an opportunity, again, to sort of look at look at the impact. We've already seen that the southern states are growing faster than the northern states because they have not shut down as much as the northern states have. On the other hand, their numbers of COVID infections have gone up where the northern states have seen some declines. So we're really getting a graphic look at that trade-off. You focus on one problem, the other problem gets worse. Yeah, it's certainly going to be a tough one to grapple with. And as we look to vaccines, that starts to slip into first quarter from fourth quarter. So I'm not sure we'll have our arms around uh, COVID before the end of the year. No, I really don't think we will. I mean, we're we're on we're on track for a first of the year distribution. What I've been able to pick up, and and we're still. We're still stumbling around in the dark to a certain extent. The last I read, there are nine vaccine candidates that are moving towards the end of third stage tests. And the third stage test is a very frustrating one for people who are trying to to watch all this because what's happened now is you're administering the vaccine and all you can really do is look at the person you gave it to and say, how are you feeling? How about now? How about now? Better now? How are you feeling? You know, I mean, you can't do anything but wait. You know, you've given it to them. It's like, you're sick? Sick yet? And and then you just have to see. And then you're at any side effects? How about now? <laughs> so we'll know in a few months. The companies that have these vaccines, and like I said, there are nine of them. Three of them are in the U.S., one in the U.K., one in Japan, one in Russia, and I think the rest are in China, many of the companies have already gone into production. They're confident that they're going to be approved. And so once the approval is given, it will be a pretty rapid distribution. All we really know for sure is that the first responders in the medical sector will get the first ones. Then it will go to the most vulnerable. And then after that, it's a free-for-all. <laughs> it's like whoever, whoever can fight their way to the front of the list throwing little old ladies over their shoulders going, I want my vaccine. <laughs> so. Yeah, right. 
Well, that is certainly interesting because I'm sure when they administer the vaccine to somebody, I wonder what you do next. Do you send them into a, a, a COVID crisis center and see if they get infected or yeah, how do you really test yeah, the vaccine without yeah, the, trying to get them infected? Exactly. And theoretically, that's that's what they'll be determining in these stage three tests because it's going to be, okay, we gave you the vaccine. We're not going to expose you to COVID and see what happens. And if it works, great. And if it doesn't, well, sorry. Um, and they're, again, they're getting good results from what I understand. The bigger question is going to be, what do you do to distinguish the population that's been vaccinated from the population that hasn't? I mean, do we continue to have the restrictions? Do we continue to wear masks and all that kind of stuff? Or do we get issued a big red V that we can stick on our foreheads and say, I'm vaccinated, leave me alone. Um, and <laughs> so it's, it's, that's going to be a challenge in and of itself. Yeah, I don't think we should go to putting numbers on people's forearms. They did something with that in the past that wasn't good. Yeah, that, did, that, that didn't work out very well. Um, but but then again, you know, back a century or so, they had the big red letter A. Um, <laughs> it's like we can yeah, have that. So, right. on a, you know, so not quite as sexy as it was back then. But. Right. Now, in terms of GDP, we've seen uh, the first quarter uh, not strong, the second quarter terrible, the third quarter great. For the year, are we going to generally balance out and be at about zero? We will probably improve, but that's one of the challenges when it comes to data this whole year because people were very excited. They saw the Q3 numbers, and they said, wow, 30% growth, and it's like, well, that's kind of like the person that bursts into the room and says, I just lost 10 pounds. And someone says, yeah, but you gained 80. Um, you know, you, you still got a long ways to go. And we had a horrific second quarter. I mean, we dropped almost 40 points. And even if you get this 30-point rise in quarter three and you get another big rise in quarter four, you're just really getting back to where you were at the beginning of second quarter. It's probably going to be second or third quarter of next year before we get kind of normal numbers. And the projection at this stage is pretty confident because the ones that I've seen have shown by second or third quarter of next year, we're growing at around 4% which is really pretty good for an economy like ours. It's about a point to a point and a half faster than we were growing prior to the pandemic, so prior to the beginning of this year. And that's typical of a common recession. You know, what we're really looking at or trying to figure out is whether we're going to have a V or a W recession. If we can avoid another lockdown, we're going to get a B. We're going to get a sharp drop and then a sharp recovery. And by the time you get to 2021, you will have seen that traditional recessionary purge. Companies that are not very well run will have gone out of business. That market share will be picked up by the stronger companies who may even acquire and merge with the weaker ones, and they will grow, and the economy grows faster. If we don't avoid a lockdown, then we get a W. We'll get a subsequent collapse first part of next year and then have to grow again. 
and the conference board has put together three different scenarios. One that is a very optimistic one that has us getting out of this mess by the first of the year. The second option is maybe more towards the middle of 2021. And then the bad one, which is the lockdown version, is we're in a further decline and we don't start to recover till the end of next year. My money is still on the first option that Again, if we can avoid some kind of a, a national lockdown and a resumption of that recession, I think we'll be in pretty good shape by the early part of next year. Well, that's encouraging, given where we have been. Uh, <laughs> True. You, your phone has been ringing off the hook because you're an economist and a consultant and helping uh, associations and industry kind of understand what's going on. What's the general feel out there? Are people just really uncomfortable, or are you able to say, you know, it'll be okay, this too shall pass, and they take a Yeah, breath. I mean, it, it's been interesting because it, it really began to change within probably the last month or so that you've seen a real division in terms of people's level of optimism. If you're on the service side of the economy, you're still extremely depressed. You don't you don't have any sense of when things are going to come back. If you're in, in the hospitality world or if you're in leisure, tourism, restaurant trade, and if you're a company that services those industries, you're very worried because you know there's no end in sight at this stage to that kind of lockdown. If you're on the manufacturing side, there has been significant growth. Um, we've seen exports improve. Um, the latest trade data was intriguing because exports were up about 2.5, almost 3%, and imports were actually down from what they've been. So we're selling more of, of what we produce from a manufacturing perspective, and we produce high-level stuff. We don't sell consumer goods to the world like China does. We sell the machines that make the consumer goods that China sells to us. So we're we're seeing some pretty interesting recoveries. I gave a talk, my first live talk in, my God, months um, in Cleveland about two weeks ago to the foraging industry. And every company there was seeing really good growth, um, whether they sold into automotive or heavy trucks or agriculture or any of a bunch of other sectors. They were all seeing good numbers. And I'm seeing it in terms of transportation. Uh, the manufacturers are doing a lot more shipping. So I'm, I'm confident for about half the economy and a little worried about the other half. And just in the last 24 hours, and again, things are still kind of up in the air as far as, as the political organization is concerned, but it looks like we're going to have a Democratic president, win Biden, and then the Congress is going to stay the way it is, that it's going to be GOP controlling the Senate and the Democrats controlling the House. That's the recipe for gridlock. But frankly, the business community likes gridlock. It basically keeps Congress from doing anything grand. Um, whatever big <laughs> projects were, <laughs> and, and we, you know, it's like, I forget which comedian once said, you know, that which governs least governs best. And it's 
basically, you know, let the guys in Washington keep themselves busy and leave the rest of us alone. And that's created a certain amount of, of enthusiasm. You're seeing it with the markets. Um, I saw a survey just today that a week ago, something like 50% were predicting a bear market next year. Now you've got something like 8% predicting a bear market. And everyone else saying, nope, it's going to stay bullish. We're happy. This is good. Uh, we think that this is the right kind of balance um, for for us as business and investors. Tomorrow, Chris, I think it's tomorrow, the Bureau of Labor Statistics releases the employment report. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the PMI report would indicate both on the services side and the manufacturing side that employment has picked up. Is that your sense of what we're going to see tomorrow? Yeah, I think we definitely will see both the U3 numbers and the U6 numbers improve, but I think the gap between them is probably going to remain. We were looking at around 8% at the U3 level and around 13% at the U6 level. And the difference between those two is that U6 will pick up workers that U3 does not. They both come from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. They have six different cuts to the data. U6 will look at people who are involuntarily part-time. These are people who were made part-time because of the company crisis and the like. They didn't want to be part-time. They don't want to live on a part-time salary, but that's what they've got. U6 will also pick up the discouraged worker, the person who is still looking for work but not doing it formally. There's no point. You know, if you're in Vegas right now and you work for a casino, well, the casinos are still closed. You're not going to go out and look for a casino job right now. It would be pointless. U6 picks up those workers, and that's why that unemployment rate is higher than U3. I think at the end of this week, tomorrow, we'll see U3 come down probably a point or two. We'll probably also see U6 come down a point or two, but it would not surprise me if U6 stayed in double digits, not as high as it is now at 13%, but it would surprise me if it got below 10 And is uh, U6 strong enough to measure uh, the un- unemployed as a percentage of the total available labor pool. I know that's another number that's out there in the total right. available labor pool. I don't know how they measure that one. Well, you've got a, a segment of people who are technically eligible to work, and it's labor force participation. And it's always a tricky number to deal with because technically you are available to be in the labor force until you die. <laughs> So it's, it's, you, you have a lot of people who voluntarily leave the labor force because they do this funny thing called retire. And so we're always looking at labor force participation of around 62, 63, 64% because you've got a good half the population that has retired or has chosen not to be in the labor force for other reasons. You've got people who, you know, it's a, it's a two-spouse family, two family and one works and the other doesn't, or people who are going to school and not working, well, they could be in the labor force, but they've chosen to go to school. 
we right now have a bit of an elevated number when it comes to labor force not participation where people are laying off because it just doesn't seem like an appropriate time they are either dealing with family issues or they're not in a in a in a profession that allows them to go back to work i mean right now the majority of the people who can work at home they're still employed but manufacturing workers that's tough i mean they really frown on it when you try to bring the laser cutter home um you know it's just just, no i i don't want the press break in your garage um so you kind of have to be able to to go back and 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 that's actually changing manufacturers when they talk about capital investment um i was hearing this a lot the last few months where companies that have been on the fence about robotics and technology were saying, well, the money that we're going to have to spend for our labor force is now much higher because we're going to keep, we have to separate them. We have to have all these protocols in place and that's going to mean more space. And all of a sudden that robot looks real good because we're not going to have to change anything except put the machine in place. And you've seen a real surge in robotics and technology, which also tends to reinforce reshoring. Companies that can replace people with machines can move back to the United States. I mean, the reason they left usually was to find cheap labor. And if you're no longer dealing with labor, well, now you can go back home. Right, right. The other issue that uh, is on the horizon and not too distant future is companies that have allowed their workers to work from home or by necessity they're now working from home and they're staring at blank cubicles and wondering Mm -hmm. if they ever need to fill them again. Is the commercial real estate market likely to take a hit in 2021? Well, it's certainly going to shift because it's been shifting all year. And uh, you've got sectors that are really growing fast, like warehousing and distribution centers are now the hot thing. And and that's likely to continue because not only do you have the growth of online shopping. I mean, at the beginning of this crisis, we did about 10% of our shopping online. Within three months of this undertaking, we went from 10% to 20%, and we're expected to be at 30% by the end of this year. So a threefold increase in online shopping, which means distribution centers are hot. You also have companies that no longer trust the just-in-time system. Global cargo is still 40% stalled. Um, People don't trust those big supply chains, and so they're doing more inventory management at home. So the commercial real estate people are going to be shifting more towards that warehousing thing away to a certain extent from office buildings. What's happening with the office buildings is interesting because companies are now looking towards some kind of a hybrid where there is work from home, but there's also opportunity to work in the office to do some collaborative activity, blah, blah, blah. The remodelers that I'm talking to are saying the hottest thing they're dealing with commercially is turning cubes into offices. It's like putting up barriers, going, okay, no more peering over the top of your cube at somebody. We're putting up walls. So this may be the end of this may be the end of Cubeville. Um so from here on out, 
Which to me, it's just I mean that whole idea of cubes. Just yeah, every time I looked at people in Cubeville, it just reminded me of that you know Psych 101 experiment with the rats in the maze. I kept looking for the yeah, cubes. Right. So. It, it's so true. I, I look into office buildings and walk through floors like that and shudder. <laughs> I, I don't do well uh, in a closed. Oh, I know. I know. I, I just, I just love the commentary that used to come out because you know people that lived in in this cube environment would talk about prairie dog and where people's heads would pop up to see what's going on. <laughs> it's like you know. So anyway. Well, Chris, we appreciate your time and joining us and kind of chatting through some of these issues. It's going to be real interesting to see if by the time we speak next month, we have resolved the presidential election or on <laughs> January 19th, they're still working on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, I think, I don't think it's going to be quite the nail biter that, that uh, we we are expecting, I think it'd be fairly clear that the real challenge from a political point of view is that, and this is something I was saying even before all this, the whole focus of next year is going to be the pandemic and recovering from the pandemic recession. So no matter who is in control, that was going to have to be their focus. And the real question now is how is that going to be addressed? We have done it this year state by state. And similarly to what the Europeans have done, because there's no pan-European approach either. I mean, you've got 44 countries all kind of figuring out what they want to do. And we're going to be looking at, at something very similar going into next year, where people will be comparing, like I mentioned earlier, the southern states are growing because they've not locked down the way the northern states had, but the price they've paid is is higher rates of, of COVID. So, that's going to be what we focus on for six months, nine months. And the interesting conversation may be, what do we do at the end of 2021? What does normal look like by the time we're a year away from this? So I think for the time being, it's, it's continue to deal with what we dealt with all year and look forward to maybe having something else to talk about next November. Yeah, right, and it's certainly my hope for the COVID vaccine or the Regeneron uh, antibody approach. Yeah, that something. They also they also managed to knock out the common cold and maybe the swine flu in the process. <laughs> Absolutely, you know, it's like I'm I'm just kind of hoping that somewhere along the way with all of these vaccines, they actually find a way to deal with male pattern baldness. I mean, come on. Um, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, again, thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you again next month. All right. Good luck. Talk to you soon. <laughs> Bye. Thanks. You too. Take care. And we've been speaking with Dr. Chris Keel, who is managing partner in Armada Corporate Intelligence. He also works with the National Association of Credit Managers. We encourage you to go to nacm.org to get the report that he just talked about at the beginning of the show. While you're surfing the web, stop by jacketmediaco.com, where you can find a link to this show, as well as one to the WAM podcast, where we talk about empowering women in manufacturing and business. 
Manufacturing Matters with Cliff Waldman, who speaks to manufacturing and the economy and why manufacturing matters. Where is Willie? Maybe we'll find out where Willie is as he travels the country and talks to us from production floors. Full time with Amy Nicholas, who speaks on that difficult work-life balance. And Hazard Girls, Women in Non-Traditional Fields and Career Paths. And as always, thank you for listening to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.